Somebody? What's up, Ronnie? You know what I say? She treated you good this week? Yeah, a little bit. So, so. Hey, listen, um, so I wrapped up the Ephesians series two weeks earlier than what I really intended to. So, um, so we're going to go a little bit different direction the next two weeks before Easter. But it's been said that the two most important days in your life are the day that you were born and the day you find out why. The two most important days in your life are the day where you're born and the day you find out you're a why. why. You're why. A more modern philosopher said it this way, you better lose yourself in the music. The moment you own it, you better never let it go. You only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Them and M, Slim Shady, y'all. Another poet said it like this. Said it this way. One crowded hour of glorious life is worth an age without a name. Like, why are you quoting all these people, Derek? Kind of glad you asked. It's because our friend King David said it this way. He said, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be at a, at the, uh, I'd rather be a, be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And even Mark recorded, um, recorded Jesus saying this. He had said, Jesus, he said this, Jesus summoned the crowd along with his disciples, and he, had, and he had them gather around, and he said to them, if you, if you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely disown your own life. Whoa. How many of us are willing to do that? <laughs> Right, and he goes on to say, and you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own as you continually surrender to my ways. For, for if, you, if you let your life go for, the, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, you will continually experience true life. But if you choose to keep your life to yourself, you will for, forfeit what you try to keep. For what, for, what, for what use is it to gain the wealth and power of this world with everything it could offer you at the cost of your own life? And kind of the title for today is that is one crowded hour of a glorious life. I was talking to somebody last week, and I was just like, you know, I have two weeks before Easter. Um, we wrap up the Ephesians series, and I asked the person, "What would you like to talk about?" And he goes, "Man, I just want to know what it looks like to be sold out, to be all in, to 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 what 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 does that look like, and what does one glorious hour what does one crowded hour of a glorious life look like what does being it being poured out look like what does it mean to be sold out and I believe it looks a lot like this and I think I believe if we could all live this way and we'll get into it a little bit more here in a second but it's this it's while the rest of the world is working while the rest of the whole world is trying to find themselves we are trying to lose ourselves by finding who Christ is you want to be sold out, this is where we have to start. You want to have that one glorious hour, that one crowded hour, that, that, that zeal to, to change the world, well, it first has to begin with how you view and see Jesus in your life. Because when we find out who Christ is, we find out our why. When we, when we, when we, when we find out who Christ is, 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out what being sold out means for us. We, like, we want to know our why, right? Like, what is the reason I am born? That's what, I mean, there's book, millions of books written about it, right? I want to know why, why I exist, why humans exist, why we do this. And the, we, we often want to find our why, find our purpose. We want to find our sold out mentality and, because we don't want to miss out on, what, on our why. Us as believers, we don't want to miss out on what Jesus has for us. But see, Jesus is just a great example, right? You're like, Derek, I can't compare. You're right, you can't. But he has, he, Jesus has, is this great, like, he knew what his one crowded hour looked like. He knew what being sold out looks like. He knew what it meant to be all in. See, his miracles were awesome, right? His miracles were awesome, but he didn't come to do miracles primarily. That wasn't his mission. His sermons were better than any that have ever been spoken. Right, if you just read them, like you're just like, dude, like. But here's the thing. He didn't come to give us inspiring messages. His life example and personal ethic were off the charts epic. He elevated women, defied racist ways of thinking that were, were the norm in, in his day and, and was kind to children. But he didn't come so that we could ask ourselves, what would Jesus do and form our life around it? He came to die. That moment on the cross was his crowded hour. That's all he focused on his whole life. Everything that he did was getting him to that point in history, in his life. That was his crowded hour that he never lost sight of. He lived and preached and prayed like a man who was running out of time. To be sold out, to have, to have our one crowded hour of glorious life means to be focused on the one thing. And our one thing now, post-cross and post-resurrection, is Christ. You want to be sold out? First, you have to be sold out on focusing on Christ and Christ alone. See, the writer, if we're about to look at, look at the book of Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews just gets, he's, he just gets done listing like all these great brothers and sisters of ours who went on before us, right? It's known as the great cloud of witnesses, right? He lists out all, the, all their things and how faithful they were to their one crowded hour, to, to their purpose, to, their, to, to what God had called them to. Like even in the midst of their messes, in the midst of their screw-ups, in the midst of whatever was going on in their life, their situations, he said, he said, he, he, he says, use them as examples. They were people just like you. Because sometimes we look at people in the Bible, and they're like, oh, they're the superheroes of the Bible. Like, of course John can do that. I mean, he literally walked with Jesus. Like, no, he was just ordinary. Like, even, um, where is it? Is it John that, said, uh, John that says Ezekiel was a man just like me, but he prayed? I'll, I'll find that off correct myself next week okay but the, cra the crazy thing the crazy thing is like we often look at people in the bible and say no they're they're superheroes all right no no they were people just like us they had screw-ups like look at moses just read about moses he was screwed up from the floor up y'all like he was messed up but he's in the he's in that list like all these people that were just like us in this list so he gets done listing everything that they did everything they accomplished through faith by keeping their focus on what mattered most and that was the, then the coming messiah and, and, the, and their father in heaven and he, he starts off chapter 12 with this he says 
Therefore, so since we just, I just gave you that whole list of people and how they were stayed faithful and how you can stay faithful in your situation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we have people who've done this before us, we know it can be done. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard that verse before in your life? Like there, I know we were going, we were going with this. Well, I'm glad you do. Start living like it. Here's the thing, like he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. So here's the thing you understand. Every weight, like, you notice how sin is and every weight separate? Sometimes we have to let go of good things. You with me? Sometimes it's the good things in life that keep us distracted from our one glorious hour. By one glorious hour, I mean our life. With me? Let go of the good things, every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And what this is calling us to is like right now in the middle of your suffocating smallness of your situation, Christ is calling you to lay everything aside. But if I lay everything aside, that means that people are going to know, people are going to know what, what I've done. People are going to, because people are going to find out if I just let it go because I've been holding on to it so nobody finds out about it. Here's just, I know this is kind of a side note, but I've been reading this really cool book. I've been reading this really cool book. It's called Last Supper on the Moon by Levi Lusco. Okay? Um, and he, he's, he's, he's talking about his faith and how it relates to the moon and inner space within, our, in, within himself. And he, he, like he's like, book has way too much inform, NASA information for me to even like, I'm like, I don't even know. But he, he tells about an interview that astronauts who have seen the back side of the moon. You know you've only ever seen one side of the moon, right? It's beautiful. Right? You look up and you gauge and you're like, oh God, you're good. But the back side of it, it's like dented in and messed up from crater, from meters, meteors hitting it. And it's oftentimes we want that dark side of our moon hidden. We only want like, you know, it's, we live in an Instagram situ- in, or Snapchat generation, right? We want to show all the good stuff and we get all jealous of everybody, of Betty over here because she's doing so good with her white picket fence and her puppy and two and a half kids or whatever the statistic is now. Right? So if I let it go, Derek, if I let all this go, the people are going to find out about it. And oftentimes when we hold on to the, hold on to things, when we hold on and we focus on those things instead of focus, focusing on the Christ who can heal those things, what happens is we start, we start becoming, well, well, I'm a victim. We start victimizing ourselves. You with me? And, and oftentimes we get comfortable being the victim. Look at what's happened to me. Because I mean, let's just be honest. Like, we have done some things that have horribly hurt ourselves, and other people have done some things that have hurt us. Trust me, I know. I don't think I have to go into all those stories again, but we're like, Derek, Derek I can't let go of this stuff. Well, if you don't let go of this stuff, you're just, you can continue being a victim. And you can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. You can't be a victim and a victor at the same time. You are called to run a race. And for you to run this race, you have to let go of those things that are binding you. You have to let go of that dirty, that dirty side of the moon. You with me? Who cares what anybody else says? You are being set free. 
because you're keeping your gaze on the cross. I'm fearful, Derek. I just don't know. You know, my thing is, is like if you've tasted the grace and the mercy of God, you'll have to leave the victim mentality behind. You have to leave the victim mentality behind. We are called to run a race. But how do we run this race with all this suffocating stuff going on around us, right? Feeling victimized and all, like whatever whatever pains you like. How, like how do we do that? Like how do we let go of these things? And the writer of Hebrews tells us. He says this. He says, look to Jesus. Somebody, some translations say, fix your eyes or fix your gaze on Jesus the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. That's his one crowded hour, what he lived his whole life for. Look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cure for fear of letting go is eye contact with your Savior. The cure for fear of letting go is eye contact with your Savior. You want to know your purpose? You want you to fix your gaze on Jesus. You want to you want to let go of the fear of letting things go. That way you can live on purpose and live a sold out life. Guess what you have to do? Fix your gaze on Jesus. If you if you're not doing that, you will never live up to the potential that God has for you. You're too worried about everything else going on around you. It's this constant gaze on Jesus that allows us to understand that following Jesus is not about what he does for us, but who he becomes in us. Because if we keep looking around the situations around us, we'll keep hoping, God, can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Can you do this? Instead of saying, God, look at what you're doing in me. He is the author and the perfecter. You can't perfect it. You're like, Derek, the music's playing awfully early. You're right. It is. Maybe I wanted it to. Or maybe today's going to be short because I'll just get there. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. What we try to do sometimes is do all the right things. We get so focused on doctrine and theology and make sure we're doing right from wrong and doing those things that we lose sight of what the first letter written in the book of Revelation was to the church of Ephesus. All right? We just finished that. And what did he say? What did, anybody know what it says? You have lost your first love. Who was their first love? Jesus. Like they were doing everything. They were they were overboard on trying to make sure no no they weren't being corrupted in any way. They were, they were vetting their preachers very well. Like they were like he was like, Hey, you're doing a great job. You're making sure no sin is happening within the church, but you've fallen in love with that and so and you've lost your first love. And because what they did was they fixed their eyes on something else instead of fixing their eyes on You want to be sold out. You want that one glorious, that one crowded hour of a glorious life. You got to fix your gaze on Jesus. As I was, as I was reading through some of that and thinking about 
the question that he had asked me, the story came up to my mind and my thoughts that you know, Jesus just feeds a bunch of people, right? Story in Matthew, he feeds a lot of people and he's wore out from feeding and preaching and he sends the crowd away and tells his disciples, go ahead and cross to the other side, get in the boat, cross to the other side. He goes up on the mountain and he prays. But why? He's up on the mountain praying and the disciples are crossing the, the, the lake. Storm hits. Right? I don't know if you've ever been in a boat. Like a bass boat or a, when a storm hits. It's scary. If Anthony was here, he would be making fun of me because I mean I came ten feet off the off the, my seat in the boat. He's like, we can either go fast or go slow and die. Either way, I'm like, well, go fast. Maybe it'll, it won't hurt as long. <laughs> He's like, oh, that was nothing. I was like, well, don't tell my britches that because they they're, they're dirty. They're out in the middle of the in the middle of the lake and there's storms and freaking out. Can you just imagine all the disciples just bailing water out? Size of boat, and all of a sudden they look out. This is kind of where we're going to pick up the story. And in Matthew 14 28, he says, and, Well, let me just say this. So they see, because I forgot to take this part off. But, so they look out, and they thought, that they, they thought it was a ghost what they saw. So it was really Jesus walking on the water toward them in the middle of the storm. Like, who can do that? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and they said, It's a ghost. And he's like, No, it's no, it's Jesus. I'm Jesus. It's Jesus. It's me, y'all. You don't ever see me like this, but here I am, you know. And and this is Peter's response. He says, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Because he will always, he always, he, in fact, he's already commanded you in what to do. He's already told you to step out. He's already said, keep your eyes fixed on me. He's already told you to be, to lose everything, to, to put aside everything, to lay down everything, lay down your life, disown your own life and follow me. Let it go. So he's already told you, but Peter says, Lord, if, you, if, if it's you, command me to come to you in the water. And this kind of reminds me of, you remember like, have you ever grown up as a kid, especially like in church culture, um, growing up, it was always like, you got to do what the Lord says. So you're like, Lord, if you want me to date that girl, let that bird fly by again. Of course there's going to be a bird fly by. You know what I'm saying? Because you're outside. You know what I'm saying? Like that was, that's, that's, sorry, chasing rabbits. Or birds. He's already commanded you. He goes on to say, in verse 29, he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came, and came to Jesus. Like, this is, this, think about this, like, how many of y'all would have stepped out of the boat? We give Peter a hard time because here in a minute he starts to sink, right? But many of us would be like, no, it's like 60 feet deep here. I ain't getting out. I can't swim. And it's a storm. You know what I'm saying? He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he, when he saw the wind, Wait, 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 wait. So he's in the boat. He's looking at Jesus. He says, Jesus, Jesus, can you come? Can can I come at can I come to you? And he's like, Yeah, come on, bro. It's, it's the coolest thing ever. You're gonna walk on water, people are gonna be jealous. It's gonna be crazy. And he steps out of the boat and he starts walking. He's getting and it says like he says he came to Jesus, so he had to be pretty walk pretty far. You know what I'm saying? I, mean, I don't know how Jesus was in comparison to the boat, but either way, he, I mean, he took at least two, one, two, three steps. You know what I'm saying? But he, he's like his eyes are fixed on Jesus, and he's walking in the direction which he was called to. 
But all of a sudden it says he saw what? Which means what? He took his eyes off of his one golden, his one hour, his one crowded hour, his one purpose. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And even in our screw-ups, guess what Jesus does? Jesus immediately stretched out his hand and lifted him up and said, What little faith you have. Why would you let doubt win? In the very moment that they both stepped into the boat, the raging wind ceased. And here's the thing. It wasn't that having doubts was the issue. Wasn't it, I mean, how many of us have doubts in here? I'm going to raise my hand. You with me? <laughs> Preacher, you have doubts? Absolutely. You should hear my prayers in the morning. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, don't get it. I don't get it, Jesus. Like, can you help me out here? Like, just be honest. You know what I'm saying? So it's not a, having doubts ain't, aren't, aren't the issue. It's when we take our eyes off of Jesus and we let doubts win. Because listen, Jesus, our Father in he- and our Father in heaven, they can handle your questions. They can handle your doubts. It ain't about all that. But we can't. You want to be sold out? You want to know what it's like to live one crowded hour, living with intention? with some zeal here's what you do it's the only thing that you have to do and it's this keep your eyes fixed on Jesus well what if I'm in the middle of the storm and I'm feeling like I'm caught out well, one you're probably in the, the greatest place you'll ever be because that means you have to something you know what I'm saying this, the second thing is this it's like I don't know if I don't know if I can make it through this storm in life. I mean, I feel like God's called me here, but I just don't know which direction I should go. Like, I just feel like everything's everything's falling apart. Life's turbulent. I got my kids are over here making messes all the time. My husband left me. My wife left me. My got, I'm thinking about I might lose my job. I mean, um, I, just, I don't know what's going on in my life. I just don't know if I can handle this right now. But this, this story tells us that if Christ calls you, calls for you to gaze, it's not gonna, He's not going to leave you in the middle of your trouble. He's going to be right there, walking right over top of it. Why? Because everything is under his feet. And even if you begin to sink, he's not going to be necessarily mad at you. You may question, you may don't let doubt win. But he's still going to pull you up out of that mess. Because although you may take your eyes off of him, guess what? He never takes his eyes off of his children. And when we call out and say, God, can you save me? God, save me. God, save me. Guess what he does? He saves us. You want to be sold out? You want to reach the 17 people that reach 17 people that reach 17 people? If you can't get your eyes fixed on Jesus, then it's not going to happen. You want to live sold out life? It's not going to happen if you can't get your eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, next week we'll talk about what it looks like practically to be sold out day to day, but I wanted to make sure up front you heard me say it's not about duty. Everything that we do is out of gratitude for what he's already done. And that's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. You with me? I love you all. Thank you for loving me back. We're going to pray, and then we're done for today. We're going to beat the Methodists to 
chick and a half. Okay? I love you all. God, we want to thank you so much for being a God who even in the midst, even in the midst of us taking our eyes off of you often, you keep your eyes on us. God, thank you for being a God who saves us, redeems us even in our mess. And I apologize for where I have taken my eyes off of you. I apologize in, the, in, in where I have I have led people astray, and to, I got I, I apologize for for any time that I've not walked in your will. But I'm so grateful. I have gratitude that you still welcome me in with open arms, even in my mess. I pray all this. In